Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and I'm the host of My Time Capsule, the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me five things from their life, anything at all, that they would like to preserve in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish, but they also pick one thing they'd like to get rid of from their life. Something they'd like to banish from their memory by burying it in the ground and never thinking of it again. My guest in episode 203 of My Time Capsule is the award-winning comedian, actress and broadcaster, Samantha Baines. You may have seen Samantha in Netflix The Crown, Call the Midwife, Silent Witness or Magic Mike Live, directed by Channing Tatum, as well as personal appearances on ITV's Loose Women, Sky News and Andrew Neal's This Week. And you may have heard her on BBC Radio London, BBC Radio Kent and Virgin Radio. She also hosts her multiple award-nominated smash hit podcast, The Divorce Social, which has been a Times Podcast of the Week and the number one relationship podcast on iTunes. A deaf activist and hearing aid wearer, Samantha is the author of two children's books with deaf protagonists. The award-winning Harriet vs. the Galaxy, which was listed in the Independent's Best Children's Books of the Year 2019, Book Trust's Great Book Guide in 2020, and it also won the Coventry Inspiration Book Award 2021. Her second book, The Night the Moon Went Out, was released in August 2021 and published by Bloomsbury and has been nominated for the People's Book Prize. Samantha has written for publications including The Guardian, Time Out, Huffington Post, Stylist Magazine, The Pool, Standard Issue and she has a column in The Modern Woman magazine. Samantha is a self-appointed accidental activist. A proud ambassador for the Royal National Institute for Deaf People, she leads talks on deaf awareness and has spoken to MPs at the House of Commons about tinnitus, as well as fronting the RNID Cinema Subtitles campaign. So let's see what Samantha Baines chooses to put in her time capsule. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. And there is 
finally. We've done it. <laughs> We've done it. Well, I've got to go, Sam. Yeah, well, that's all I wanted. Seems yeah. reasonable. Do people call you Sam? Yes. Sam. Yeah, Sam is fine. I feel like I'm being told off or I feel very posh if I'm Samantha. Yeah, I know I'm going to keep slipping into it. So I thought I'd check first that you didn't go, I hate it. When people call me Sam. No, I hate it if people call me Sammy. Yeah. It's just not my vibe. But Sam is totally fine. You can imagine Mickey. I've had that. Oh, have you? I feel like Mickey isn't your vibe either. I don't look like a Mickey, do I? No. Some people call me Bainsy. Yeah, that's all right, isn't it? That's sort of a from the old sort of public school thing, isn't it? Well, my dad was in the police when he was younger. So it was quite a police thing, I think, because they all called him Bainsy. Mm. <laughs> Lots of people just call me by my full name, though. They're like, it's, it's Samantha Baines. Like, even my friends, I don't know why, <laughs> they just go in full name. I'm like, yes, hello, it's me. <laughs> like you're being welcomed to some sort of royal event. Yeah, every time. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Ms. Samantha Baines. <laughs> Although one time I, I met Jane Garvey. Oh, did you? And I used to listen to her all the time on, on Women's Hour. So I asked her to record an introduction of my name for me to use at one of my stand-up shows or something because it sounded really proper. But I don't think I've ever used it. So I just randomly have a recording like in the cloud somewhere <laughs> of Jane Garvey welcoming me. So I might go back and find that and listen to it. Yeah, use it. Or put it on the podcast. Yeah. Just have her say, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Samantha Baines. Well, no, on my podcast, I... Um, because you know you have you have to get obviously you know you, and you have music at the beginning of the podcast. I was really worried mm. about royalties, so for the divorce social, I was like, I'm going to create my own music. Yeah. So the introduction to the podcast is me singing "I Got Divorced" in like a really high pitched voice. <laughs> so that's become my new intro now. Very good. Um, I'm just going to take a felt tip off my dog because she started to chew it. <laughs> One <laughs> <Okay>. second. <laughs> Crucial things. Sorry, she's being difficult today. She won't be left downstairs because she'll bark. Right. At some point she will go to sleep, but at least she's not barking. (laughs) What's your dog's name? Custard. Very good. Wasn't there a cartoon dog called Custard? Was there? I thought Mm. she was the original. Some people in the park, it goes either one of two ways. Either they're like, oh, that's such a cute name. It really suits her. Or they're like, that's a weird name. Why did you call her that? And one man asked me if I was just really into custard. And I was like, no, I don't like name my pets after things I really like. Like, this is my cat called Fight Club. Um, very strange. But yeah, I like it. I've just thought where, the, where it comes from, rhubarb and custard. There was a cartoon called Rhubarb and Custard. And I think Custard was the dog. But maybe not. Maybe it was rhubarb. But then it's clearly named after something the person who wrote that cartoon liked. They liked rhubarb and custard. Well, if I got another dog, I'd call it rhubarb. Perfect. My mum got a dog from the same breeder as I did. So they're like cousins. And she called it Fig like figgy pudding, custard and fig kind of goes. It's turning out to be the perfect dessert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although my cat is called Queen Victoria. Does she tend to look as if she's not amused? Oh, yes. She's very regal. Mm. But I got her originally with her brother and that was with my ex-husband and we called them Victoria and Albert 
because we thought that was nice, but obviously they're brother and sister. So it's actually a bit weird. Mm. Um, but then Albert got hit by a car during lockdown. So he died. But then that is historically accurate. True. So now Victoria is in a period of, of mourning and she's very regal and she looks out the window a lot. For about 45 years. Yeah. She's going to be around for a long time, that cat. <laughs> Oh dear, well I won't go into the question of whether Albert had his genitals tied down with a staple or whatever it was. The real Albert did, didn't he? A Prince Albert. A Prince Albert ring. Yeah, but did he get that first? That's why it's named that, I think. (gasps) So that the bulge wouldn't show in the tight sort of military trousers. Oh, but now it's a piercing. It may well have been a piercing then. It's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Wow. Maybe Queen Victoria in, enjoyed a bit of that in her sex life. <laughs> well, they had a lot of kids. Yeah, they did. They obviously didn't get in the way of sperm production, no. which is good to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for anyone who's having their genitals pierced currently and has <laughs> produces sperm. <laughs> and is worried about where it's going to end up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it obviously works. Maybe yeah. it creates a sort of fountain-like spray which is really good. I'm finding out all the things today. And I found out that the egg that women release or people with wombs release chooses the sperm. Really? And I never knew that because I was always taught, you know, the fastest, strongest sperm swimmer Mm. gets the egg. But apparently the egg chooses its sperm. She's like, all right, I like a bit of you, sperm. Come on in. Yeah, and all those other ones with the stronger swim tail, not bothered about it. Yeah. I don't want a child that swims so much. No, and I was never very good at swimming, so this all makes complete sense. But I love that. So we've been in charge since the beginning. All through the animal kingdom, there are those sorts of things going on there where the women are in charge. Did you know that female birds, in order to keep the partner that they think they've got happy... They can have sex with it and then store the sperm in a little chamber to the side. And then when he's not looking, they sort of spit it out, as it were. They, you know, well, oh, not wow. spit it out, but, you know. Spit or swallow birds, <laughs> spit. Hence, it. it's not the first swallow of spring. Yeah, <laughs> wow. I love that we've just gone to animal sex straight away. Um, <laughs> seahorses are amazing. Because the female gets pregnant and then she passes the eggs onto the male to store. And he brings them up, doesn't he? And then they give birth to it in a sort of like confetti cannon. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. Thank you, David Attenborough. It's been (laughs) such fun talking to you. (laughs) You're so welcome. (laughs) Yeah, David Attenborough like specialises in wildlife and I specifically specialise in (laughs) sex in animals. (laughs) That, in a way, is the one thing that he's not done. My sexy planet. I'd watch that. I'd watch that. How animals have sex. Although David Attenborough sort of narrating your sex life would make it much more of an occasion, wouldn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Would it? Would you really like to have a man in the corner very quietly? (laughs) I don't know if I'd like it, but it would make it an event. Like it it would be like, right, well, if we're going to do this, we've got to do it properly because David Attenborough's narrating it. Yeah. You'd be tempted to slip in something really weird, though, wouldn't you? As if it was the norm. And she keeps her leopard print clothes on at all times (laughs) during the mating ritual. (laughs) As she's a divorced woman, she wears leopard print all the time, even during the sex process. (laughs) There we are. Not only entertaining, but educational. Yeah, same. That's definitely my remit. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sam, we're now going to talk about what I'm supposed to talk about on this podcast, which is the five things you've chosen from any time in your life that you'd like to put into a time capsule. I love it. Mm-hmm. This is this was so hard to think about because I was like, I want to put in loads of like lovely little times, mm. but then also I need to caveat this with if I'm putting in the time capsule, I still have to be able to access it. Right. Yes. Otherwise, I'll be so sad. Well, the time capsule can go wherever you like. In fact, you could bury it and leave it for posterity, or in fact, you could just put it under your bed, and then if you want yeah. to have a little sneaky look. Anytime you like, you can get them out again. Okay, phew. I'm glad that's that right, then. we've got that little... Yeah, that would have been a disaster. But you'd say, no, I'm not putting it in there because I want to still experience it and keep it. I'd be like, nothing's going in. <laughs> you can have my old school books. That's it. <laughs> I feel like all parents have a time capsule in their loft, yes. which is like loads of weird things from when you were a child, like a weird bookmark that you made for them that was meant to be a butterfly, but actually looks like a mash of glitter and <laughs> fingerprints. Yes. So actually, the first thing that I wanted to put in mm. is my lovely dog, Custard. Right. Who I've mentioned already, but obviously I still need access to her because I love her. Yeah, yeah. But I don't have children. So Custard, I have a cat already, Queen Victoria. And whilst I love Queen Victoria, I've never experienced intense motherly love which is what I'm calling it because I haven't been a mother in any other way mm-hmm. um, until I got my dog custard. And when she was a tiny little puppy, so she's a miniature wirehaired dachshund. Oh. And when she was, she was so small when I got like 10 weeks, she was like the size of my hand. They're really tiny anyway, but those miniature ones, yeah. no, somebody's made that up. <laughs> she's tiny. Well, she's one now. Mm. So she's, looks more like a proper dog so she's a bit longer and and more substantial and I'm less worried that I'm gonna break her all the time Mm. but um when she was a puppy I got a little jumper for her (laughs) and now I'm not one of those terrible people that just dress their puppies up for joy I am sort of that but my excuse is that Daxon's uh, or dash hounds or sausage dogs, whatever, however you say it, because mm. lots of people vary. And I, even though I'm an owner, I normally just copy the person who <laughs> said it already. So if you say dash hound, I'll say dash hound. You ah, say dachshund. Dachshund, as I call them. Oh, wow. Okay. So my dachshund <laughs> is. Um, when she was small, I got her a little jumper because apparently they have very thin skin for dogs. So they do get a lot colder more easily than other dogs. So I got her a little jumper and I've kept her little jumper, even though it's not, doesn't fit her anymore. It's no use to her. And I feel like it's my first experience of motherhood. So I'm going to have a little box in the loft for custard <laughs> with just all of her old like clothes and weird things in. Possibly all the things that she's chewed. Yeah. Oh, she's chewed so many things. (laughs) I got her a new bed because when she was smaller, she used to chew her bed and I thought she'd got out of it, Mm. you know, stopped chewing. Now she was all of one years old. So I bought her a new dog bed and she sleeps in my room. Of course she does. And normally she sleeps in my bed, even though when I got her, I was like, she's absolutely not going to (laughs) sleep in my bedroom. (laughs) She sleeps next to me. She puts her head on the pillow. Mm -hmm. Like she's an absolute princess. But I bought her a new dog bed and overnight, I sort of heard her like rummaging a bit in the night. I just thought she was stirring. Uh, I woke up in the morning and she had destroyed the dog bed. So she's had it for like eight hours (laughs) and 
all of the stuffing was all over my bedroom. Yeah. And she's this tiny little cute dog looking up at me, just surrounded by a bed massacre. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, she has chewed many things. But yes. the reason I wanted to put her in is she's brought me so much joy. Mm. And I know dog owners are terrible because, you know, we love our dogs. But I think since my divorce, which obviously my podcast is all about mm -hmm. and I talk about a lot, I've lived on my own and actually having a dog has kind of bought me a new lease of life and she gets me out of the house and I, you know, I chat to all the people on the dog walks and in the dog park and she makes me, you know, more social in that way. And we have little adventures together and go on walks and I basically bring her everywhere with me. People are always asking me to bring her to like work meetings because <laughs> they just want to hug her. Yeah. So yeah, she's She's brilliant and she's sassy and she gives me a hard time. And do you think there's a 101 Dalmatian situation down the road with Pongo and Perdita? Didn't they bring their owners together? Yes. They did. Well, there you go. Mm. Although I don't want her to fall in love with another dog because I want all of her love to be for me. <laughs> okay. I'm a very selfish mother in that way. <laughs> um, I want her to not talk to any other dogs yet. You should be locked in the attic forever. Maybe this is why the time capsule is useful to you then because, you know, <laughs> you can get custard out for when you want that undivided love. But until that moment... Get back in the capsule. Be in your capsule. Mm. Although I'm such a pushover when it comes to her. She'd like whine at me and I'd be like, okay, I'll let you out. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> no, I have trained her a little bit. She poos outside. So that's that's a win. Yes. But obviously you've got her first poo saved to put into your little box in the loft. Yeah. Frozen mm. and vacuum packed in a little plastic <laughs> coating scenario. No, <laughs> I no. don't. <laughs> Although when I first got her, we had to go on a long car journey to pick her up and I was with my mum and my sister and I had to take her for a first wee outside as a new owner. And I was so scared that she was going to like run off and I was going to lose her. But I basically stood over her, like with my hands out, <laughs> like some weird obsessive <laughs> lady, um, like a toddler, like standing over her from side to side, just everywhere she went, just in case. But bearing in mind, she was like the size of a hand. So even if she did run away, I would have definitely, I'm not great at sport, but I would definitely have been able to catch her. <laughs> I have anxiety as well. So, you know, I was just, the first few weeks of having her, I was obsessed with the idea that I was going to in some way damage her or lose her or kill her or break her. I can understand that. I didn't. Because they are so tiny, aren't they? And they're not predictable. They suddenly change direction. And you go, no, I could, I could imagine easily stepping on a little dog like that. Did you feel that about parenthood? Um, no, I didn't particularly, no. <laughs> no, didn't give a damn, no. But actually it takes a long time for that human to start moving about. Yeah. The first time they do move on their own is really quite shocking. You'll put them down and then you'll look away and, you go, and they've moved. You go, oh, my God, quick, look, come and look. Look, it moved. I did refer to my children as it. Sure. About nine yeah. months, I think. <laughs> like that you just gave them that cooling off period, like a new phone contract, like <laughs> I'm not going to make the decision that you're a human until I'm absolutely sure. <laughs> Do I love you? Oh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Keep at it. Do you have any dogs? I don't have any dogs. I had dogs well, all the way through my childhood. I loved having dogs. Yeah. 
I'd advise you to get a dog in adulthood and I bet you'll love them quicker than you loved your children. Yeah, well, they move more. <laughs> <laughs> I love this as like a, a way of deciding if you love something. It moves a lot, so I love it. <laughs> you must love your bowels. <laughs> they don't move enough. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, mine move a lot. Oh, so well, I have anxiety, so it helps. <laughs> All right, then, Sam, we're going to take Custard uh, and hope that Custard never meets that charming young little Dachund, rhubarb. Yeah. And they form the perfect pudding. Oh. And you come second. I can't imagine that's ever going to happen. Never. Not now that we've got Custard in the time capsule. Perfect. <laughs> All right, that's number one. So what's your second thing you've chosen? Um the other great person in my life was my dad mm. and he passed away about five years ago now. Yeah. So oh, the story of his death is a whole thing. So he was in a home. He had sort of a lung condition and a heart condition mm. and he was only 60. Oh dear. So yeah, it happened really suddenly. And then he was in a care home and in about the space of a year, he went from going about what we thought was a very healthy person to being in a care home and basically in a wheelchair and not able to do a lot for himself, which he hated because mm. um, he was a real like, you know, life and soul of the party would go to a pub. He's one of those people who'd go to a pub and buy the whole pub a drink. Um, <laughs> and my mum, when they were together, was like, stop buying everyone drinks. We don't have enough money to buy the whole <laughs> pub a drink. But he was like, you know, wanted everyone to have a good time, make all the jokes. And he was always a really um, big encouragement for me in my career and, and comedy. And I used to go through my material with him. And mm. he was, yeah, he was like my biggest fan. So I was on my hen do and the butler in the buff had just left and the butler in the buff if you don't know is like a lovely man normally someone at university who wants some extra money mm -hmm. um comes to your house and is sort of a waiter and they wear normal clothes except from their bottom is bare yes but the front is covered with a little sort of waiter's apron mm. they just walk around with a bare bottom and you can like get them to serve your hen party drinks or have a chat. We just ended up having a chat. Um, anyway, so the butler and the buffer just left. I was like a bottle of Prosecco down and got a call from my dad's care home. They'd left a voicemail. So I sort of handed it off to my sister and was like, can you see what this is about? And we could hear the voicemail, which was like, can you urgently call us? So we were a bit like, oh no, what's happened? We never thought the worst. And then we were both trying to get through on the phone and my sister got through. And I remember she said, are you trying to tell me my dad is dead? And I said, are you joking? And yes, I found out my dad had died on my Hendo, which is totally, I think, something my dad would have planned. Like, it's a gag, isn't it? Mm. He's like, how can I make this a moment? But what was great about it was that I was surrounded by all the people who I love and love me. So mm. my mum was there, my sister was there, my aunties were there, my cousins, and obviously all my best friends. So it was kind of the best environment to find out something awful had happened because there was so much support. Um, but my maid of honour said afterwards, 
obviously after the shock of it, she had to go around because we were in a like Airbnb, you know, that we'd hired and mm. all of us were staying in Bath for the weekend. And um, she had to go around and take down all the like penis paraphernalia really quickly <laughs> after she found out. And then all my friends were just like, oh God, what can we do? So they started cooking pasta because they were like carbs. That's what we need in this situation. <laughs> so did you all stay there and then and it sort of turned into a massive wake? Yeah, was, was we were meant to go out. So we all dressed to go out on this big night out. And we ended up, yeah, putting our dressing gowns over the top of our clothes and just sitting around and, and talking. Walking. Mm. And then we left in the morning and we were meant to go to the spa in Bath for a like fancy day out. And I remember I was like, should we still go to the spa tomorrow? Because obviously everyone's paid and I don't want everyone to miss out. And everyone was like, no, we shouldn't go to the spa. Your dad's died. You need to go home. And it was very strange on the journey home the next. So my um, fiance of the time drove down that night to stay with us. And then on the journey home in the morning, I didn't really sleep that night. On the journey home in the morning, I'd pre-recorded a show on Virgin Radio, like a guest show that I was doing Mm. and playing music. And I talked in the pre-record about my dad a lot. So loads of the songs that I'd chosen were about, you know, him or songs that he loved, or I'd heard them for the first time when I was with him. And so we were driving home, listening to this show that I'd recorded like weeks earlier about my dad and like a tribute to my dad, knowing that he just died. It was very sort of weirdly serendipitous. Fortuitous, really. Yeah. But the signal kept going out when we were driving because we were driving through different areas. And I was like, can we? And I was so obsessed with like, we have to listen to the show Mm. um, because it was live. But um, yeah, so then we came back and obviously did all the wedding planning and then had the wedding without my dad there. And so there was all of that going on. So at the time, my mum and my sister cleared his house out without me there because I was, you know, wedding planning and all sorts. And they actually got rid of a lot of his stuff. And I'm a hoarder of things. So um, a time capsule is great for me, but I'd probably have like seven of them because I I love stuff and like keeping them in little boxes. And I have that (laughs) in my house of like, this is my memory box and I have a memory dad box. But they'd got rid of a lot of the stuff because they had to clear his, you know, his house out and, and start that process off after the funeral. So I sort of was really worried that I'd missed all these things that I wanted to keep of his. But there was one thing, and that was this toweling robe he had. And it was dark blue and dark green striped. And I feel like he had it for like the whole of my life. (laughs) But maybe he didn't. But I just really strongly remember it. And him, you know, having baths and then coming out in his toweling robe or him in the morning getting his coffee in his toweling robe. It's possible. We men are not great changers. Yeah. I dread to think how old my dressing gown is. I mean, it's been washed. Yeah. A couple of times at least. (laughs) (laughs) But I've had it for ages. Yeah. So I I feel like he had it for at least like 10 years Mm. and I just really associated it with him. And luckily they didn't get rid of that straight away. But then the practical person in me was like, right, I can't keep a whole toweling robe. Like, what am I going to do with it? So what I did is I cut a square of the material out and I've kept that. And that's in my dad's memory box. Mm. And it just really reminds me of him. And also like my childhood 
kind of with him around and cuddles with him and stuff. <laughs> so that would be my second thing that mm. would go in the time capsule. How brilliant. Isn't it strange, though, the way that your brain works in those moments of, uh, of well, extreme shock like that? Even though your father was ill and in a home, it's still always a terrible shock. And that thing of, well, we should still go to the spa because we booked it. It's like your logical, because your emotional brain is too much for your emotional brain. Mm -hmm. It's like it shuts down. So logical you is like, right, well, what I need to do now is obviously order that to cancel that. And I was like, right, obviously, well, the plan is this. So we're going to carry on and do that. And it is it is funny, you know, all the things we do, like because I'm, you know, a freelance creative like yourself, mm-hmm. um, I don't really have a nine to five job. So I'm a lot freer than, than other people. So even though I couldn't do the clear out of my dad's house, you know, my sister and my mum were both, I think, working at the time. So there were other things that needed to get done during the day that I could do. Yeah. I remember I had to go and register the death. Mm. There's just so much admin that comes with death and also registering someone like your dad's death. And he was 60 and I was, I think, 30 or something at the time. It feels like such a huge thing, but actually you just go into a little office and queue up and give them a piece of paper that says this person's died. Mm -hmm. And then they fill it in on the computer and they go, okay, thanks. And you're like, is that it? Yeah. Wow. It was the same when I got divorced, actually, because it's such a drawn out process. And, you know, it's we had an amicable breakup, but then it always gets a bit difficult in the middle where you're doing all the finances and the house stuff. And, mm. you know, we stopped talking for a while and and then you finally get to it and you're like, oh, God, it's finally going to be over and we can just get on with our lives. And I sort of imagine that, you know, like when you win the postcode lottery and those celebrities turn up at your door with a big check, <laughs> yeah. I sort of felt like it should be like that like someone should turn up like with a confetti cannon um <laughs> and a big sign saying you are free <laughs> yeah you're divorced and then have me a huge certificate but it was actually just an email from my lawyer and it didn't even say like congratulations you're divorced it was like please find attached and then attached it was like and it doesn't even say you're divorced you sort of have to read into it and you're like oh this is this says that it's all gone through and that's done. In Latin as well. Decree absolute. Absolute. So, um, yeah, admin takes over so many intense emotional situations. And, and then you've, you're aware as you're doing it of those things being the last time. It's weird how after those things that you do a great row of things and you think, oh, that's the last time I'll do that. Yeah. Something else in my memory box, but you can't have it for the time cap, so I'm sorry. Okay. It's a Sudoku book that my dad had, Mm. but in the front of it, so I was in the first series of The Crown, and it came out like the week my dad died, but he got to see it. And because I cough in it, it's it's all so strange. So I play a Cockney lady called Mary and the episode is when the smog descends on London. Mm. And so I'm coughing throughout and I'm taken to hospital. And obviously my dad was in a care home with a lung condition <laughs> and was coughing. And so he watched it and texted me and said, we coughed the same or something. <laughs> but I have his Sudoku book and in the front he'd written like the crown and what time it was on 
Mm. and that he had to watch it you know and he'd like put a little square around it and so I still have that book oh how brilliant and that was the last thing he got to see me in yeah well I'm going to take that gorgeous piece of cloth blue and dark green royal green and we shall put it into the time capsule and keep it there not wash it no no, Definitely not. No. Do you have a habit of washing your time capsules? <laughs> it depends what goes in. Has anyone ever chosen something really awful that you're like, that needs a wash, a little disinfectant? <laughs> I'm not putting that in myself. That's not touching my hands, I'll tell you that. And the next thing I'm going to put in is... is gonorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, never, but never mind. That's a lovely thing to put in. So thank you very much. That's number two. So what's number three, Sam? Add time, add time. They may be funny, dull, or sublime, but fear not, listeners. We'll be back after add time. Oh, come on, it makes a difference from the usual hear us of ads, doesn't it? Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome back. I hope you had a love. No, no, no more singing. Right. Let's instead listen to something enjoyable. The next thing that the lovely Samantha Baines wants to put in her time capsule. So number three is uh, coach trips when I was at school. And I'm, I'm not even talking about when you have like a special day out, like to the science museum, and then you go on a coach trip. Mm. In secondary school, I was on the school sort of coach bus every morning and every evening to get home. Oh, right. Because normally it's quite an American thing, isn't it? But mm-hmm. we had it in Kent and it would stop off at all these sort of places. And so it'd stop near my house and then I'd have just like a 15 minute walk back to my house in the evening. Where was that in Kent? 
at the time I was living in Bromley, uh, Bromley in Kent, mm-hmm. and I went to school in Orpington, Newsteadwood School for Girls, yes. which wasn't a private school, but it was a grammar school. So you had to take a test to get in. Yes. Same school as Josie Long. Yes. There's quite a few of us now, actually, mm. who went to Newstead. It's funny. A couple of comedians, Carly Smallman went to Newstead as well. Right. When I went to Ramsden. Oh, okay. Mm. Not too far away. Not that far away. We always fancied the Newsteadwood girls, but they were too posh for us. Too posh. Too posh. <laughs> I feel like we weren't that posh. Um, we just crammed for exams. Yeah. That's what we were good at. Um, <laughs> no, the equivalent boys' school was St. Olaf's, mm. but there was a school nearby called Derrick Wood. And we sort of fancied all the Derrick Wood lot because the Derrick Wood lot was like hotter. Dangerous. Yeah, yeah. like, you know. They undid their ties. All that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> Their shoes had scuffs. <laughs> but I feel like I learned so much about the world and communication. And I feel like I possibly became a comedian on those school coach trips because we would get the bus with the boys from St. Olaf. That's a very privileged position to be in then, isn't it? Yes. Because crossing that line, as it were, and talking to the boys is a very big thing, isn't it? Yeah. And and so it was a novelty. Mm. And then also you'd sit on the coach with people that you weren't in the same class with at school. So you got to meet people from different years and different classes. And we used to come up with so many things to entertain us on the journey home. We used to do coach surfing. (laughs) Um, which is very dangerous, where you don't wear your seatbelt and you sort of kneel on your seat sideways. And so when the coach obviously goes round corners and stuff, it's like you're surfing because you have to try and keep your balance. Um, this is before mobile phones. Yes. Um, and also, I remember on the coach, I um, I tried lying for the first time. So I, I made up stories to make myself sound cool. So the one I remember was that I, I told everyone on the coach that I had my nose pierced. So I, at this stage, I was like 12. Mm-hmm. And I now have my nose pierced. So now I am the cool person I always wanted to be. But at 12, <laughs> I told the coach that I'd had my nose pierced, but then my mum got annoyed. So I had it lasered up. <laughs> um, Brilliant. Because they were all trying to like look for the hole in my nose to prove that I got my nose pierced. So that I feel like that was my first experience of, of like telling a lie. Yeah. The fact that they all looked meant they completely believed it. Yeah. Did anybody go, you know, actually I can see a little mark. Yeah, ah, so brilliant. some some of the girls like believed me. Yeah, and some of the boys were, oh no, <laughs> no but you didn't. You're only twelve. Yeah, and it was like I remember navigating that, and then also regretting that I'd said that because then every time in the following conversations, when people would bring it up, I was like, oh no, and I told that lie, and mm-hmm. now I need to keep going with the lie, otherwise they'll find out that it was a lie. And so I feel like, yeah, I learned so much about the world. <laughs> And life on that coach. And obviously making people laugh helped pass the time on the coach and telling stories and being that kind of performer Mm. and storyteller. It was only like a 40 minute journey or something. But um, yeah, I feel like I learned a lot. 40 minutes. I mean, that's, you know, you're doing an hour and 20 minutes a day. 
Yeah, it's like a it's like a stand up show every every day. <laughs> there you are. And were you at the end of the trip? Were they letting people off all the way? I feel like I was sort of in the middle. Mm. There were quite a few people left on. But when I was very young, because I only did it for like the first few years and then I was like old enough to get the train. But when it used to get dark early, my mum didn't want me to walk that extra 15 minutes to the house with no one there. So I used to wait in the local library. So it was this really tiny, cute library. And obviously I write children's books now. So it's just like mm-hmm. a lovely full circle. Um, <laughs> I want to visit that library again and be like, here's my book. Um, so I used to wait in the library, but one night the library, I think it wasn't open or something for some reason. And a couple of older girls found me in the street. And they thought I was older than I was. Well, you'd had your nose pierced. And lasered up. And lasered up. You must have been at least 15. At least, yeah. Yeah. Um, And they started sort of talking to me and I was so scared of them. You know, these older girls that I'd never met before. um, And they were like hanging out on the street and it was like getting a bit dark. And I was all sort of innocent at a grammar school. And they wanted money from me. They were like, oh, do you have any money? Like Mm. we can go to the shop and get some sweets. So then they were like, started going through my bag and one of them had I remember one of them it was really scary at the time one of them had a snooker ball and then sort of like threw it at me jokingly and it missed me and then it went on the road and you know looking back now I'm like it was this lovely leafy residential road in what was a pretty (laughs) posh area but I was so scared of these two girls and they like took this money out of my pencil case it was like you know one pound fifty and they were like we're taking this and I was like trying to play it cool like the whole time be like oh yeah it doesn't bother me sure and then I remember they asked me my age and I said because I must have been 12 or something Mm. and they were like oh oh god we're really sorry we thought you were older than that and then all of a sudden they became like more human and more motherly almost. Yeah. Like, oh, oh no, we've done this to this poor girl. We thought she was our age. Or so I don't know. It was this really weird moment. And then I remembered I was so scared. And then I had to walk home. And the walk was a blur because I was just, you know, thinking about what had just happened. And I told my mum and dad, and then they went. There was a place that these girls were staying. I'm not sure what sort of place it was, but like lots of young people were staying there. So I found out years later that my parents went and like had a go at whoever owned this home. Mm. But it also sort of taught me that I was very calm in very scary situations because actually, you know, they thought I was older than I was. I didn't cry. I was like, yeah, no, yeah, fine, whatever. Yeah, I'll give you the money. You know, trying to play it up. And mm. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but um, <laughs> it meant that, you know, when I became a comedian, I doing gigs in uh, maybe rough pubs or mm-hmm. people heckling. It does remind me of that moment because it's like on the outside, I look very calm and like I'm keeping my cool and like I can cope with it. And then I just go home and cry afterwards. <laughs> inside you're 12. Yes, <laughs> inside I'm 12. Like, take my money out of my pencil case. <laughs> oh, well, but what a fantastic education. And also to learn that those St. Olav's boys were so cynical, weren't they? So cynical. It was obvious you'd had a piercing. I mean, what's wrong with them? I was just, you know, that kind of girl, you know, just like, yeah, I want my nose pierced. I'm going to get it done. But then my mum 
<laughs> so annoying. So I had to have it lasered. Is that even a thing? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't, don't think know. you can have a hole lasered up. <laughs> lasered up like some sort of sci-fi thing. <laughs> We yeah. shall refill it with the laser. <laughs> I think you can laser off a tattoo, but I, I'm pretty sure you can't laser a hole. But that was what I came up with. You can laser back skin. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, seal it together with a laser. I'm sure that must be true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is now. Okay. All right. Well, let's put that coach trip in. It's interesting you should say no mobile phones because I do watch the kids on the train. I live in Tunbridge Wells. And actually, they do communicate with each other via their phones, even though they're sitting next to each other. Well, I mean, I have to say, me and my sister do that when we're in the living room. <laughs> she'll be like scrolling. She'll be like, oh, I found this really nice dress. And she'll like WhatsApp it to me just from across the room <laughs> so I can see it. Yeah. I don't know if it was before mobile phones existed, but I didn't have a mobile phone. Because no. I think I was quite old when I got a mobile phone, definitely in secondary school. Yes. Certainly some of my grandchildren have had them since they were about five. Yeah. It's wow. very annoying when they've got a better iPhone than you. Yeah, because when I was five or younger, my favourite game was digging holes in the garden and making like mud pies or making tea out of grass. Re I was really obsessed for a while. I don't know why I didn't become some sort of tea maker or own a tea label, but I was obsessed with like picking things in the garden and then like putting it in with, it wasn't hot water, it was just cold water, and then trying to make my family drink it. Children still do that. So, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, there's nothing. Nothing they like more than a concoction of something really disgusting from all over the garden. Yeah. Which they then tell you is perfume. Yes. And you have to wear it. Of course. Disgusting. I, yeah, I remember I tried to make rose leaf perfume. I got an old perfume bottle of my mum's and just stuffed loads of rose leaves in and then put water in it. But then obviously all the rose leaves go mouldy in the water, <laughs> yes. which no one tells you. And then you can't ever get them out again because the top of the bottle's so small. So I had had just mouldy rose petals <laughs> in a bottle for a while. Who knew that making perfume was so difficult? I know. That's why I became an actor and comedian. It's easier. All right, let's put that coach journey from Bromley to Newstead Woods Girls School yes. into the time capsule. Okay, we've got two more to go. We've got one that you want to keep and one that you'd like to put in there because you want to get rid of it. So I think the one I want to keep, the last one, mm. it's another item. And it's from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So my first Edinburgh Fringe, which is like a month long extravaganza in Scotland, if people don't know, I'm sure they do, but there's lots of theatre and comedy on there for a whole month. So my first Edinburgh Fringe doing my first hour show because I actually did Edinburgh originally in plays and then I was in a sketch group mm -hmm. um, but my first hour long show and you get all the passes to go into the different venues when you perform there and so I had one of those little plastic folders on a lanyard with all my passes in and to get into the performer bars and stuff yeah. and then you get badges when you go to other people's shows and you put them on the lanyard and it just reminds me of it felt like it's funny looking back now, but it felt like such a pivotal moment in my career. I, I really felt like, oh, I've made it mm -hmm. because 
I was in the Pleasance Courtyard in Edinburgh and the Pleasance is a venue that does a lot of comedy. And that had always been my aim when I started out stand-up was like once when I have my own show with just me talking for an hour, I'm going to be in the Pleasance Courtyard and people are going to buy tickets just to see me. And the idea (laughs) of that was just incredible. I was like, this will never happen. Oh my God, imagine if that happened. So you always had that ambition, even though you were doing theatre and in in a troupe, as it were? Well, I don't know if I always had it when, because I originally trained as an actor. Mm. So I did drama at Exeter Uni and then I went to Central School of Speech and Drama. And I always had an ambition to perform solo. But at the time, I probably would have imagined that as like a one woman show yeah, because yeah. I'd seen so many incredible solo performances of things. And I'd always thought, oh, my gosh, the skill to keep an audience with you when you've got no one else on stage to support you or trust you or you, you know, help them and and interact with. And you alone have to take that responsibility. And remember, you know, if you forget your lines, no one can kind of give you a nudge and help you, you know. And I think it was stand-up, even though at the time I would have been like one-woman show. I think it was from seeing stand-up comedy as well. But just that ability to hold an audience's attention, I remember thinking, wow, that's amazing. Like, how do you develop a skill like that? And Mm. that idea of just having people buy a ticket just to see you seemed mad to me. I just thought, (laughs) why would someone ever do that? You know, Mm. so that was a kind of like, wow, if I get to do that one day, like I will have made it. If I can pull that off. And I never sort of intended to do stand-up comedy. And I tried to sort of just do acting for a long time. And that's why I did the sketch group, because it was like an acting form of comedy. Mm. And obviously I still act now, but... Mostly coughing though. Yeah, yeah, just coughing. Uh Um, And also I have a real niche of playing, not anymore because I've got my nose pierced and loads of tattoos now, but I had a real niche for a while of playing Cockney women in the 1950s. So in The Crown, I play a Cockney woman called Mary in the 1950s. In a film called A Royal Night Out, I play a Cockney woman also called Mary, also in the 1950s. (laughs) The versatility is astonishing. I know. And then in Call the Midwife, I play a Cockney woman called Dot in the late 1950s, almost 1960s. So there was a real niche for a while. So (laughs) I only do really specific things. Yeah, so so stand-up sort of happened by accident. It was because the sketch group, we did a couple of years and we had a lovely time and then we sort of went our separate ways and the others got jobs. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I quite like this comedy thing. Uh, Maybe I should do it on my own. And so I sort of gave it a go. But I think even now, saying that I'm a stand-up comedian, I feel like a fraud. (laughs) even though I've done it for like nine years. I did a UK tour, like I've won an award. I feel like a fraud. Like it feels awkward me telling you that I've done a tour and won an award because I'm like, but probably not really. Like probably those things are fake. (laughs) Did I imagine them? It wasn't a proper tour. It was 50 odd dates. It's nothing. Yeah, it was like, no, it wasn't even 50. (laughs) See, it's not a proper tour. Um, So that first show had worked really hard on it and it was called One Woman... What was it called? (laughs) One woman, two... No. It was called One Woman... Two Governors. Oh, my God. I might have to Google it. I might have to Google my own show. (laughs) No, it was something about cocks. Right. But it was about... I think it was two cocks. One woman, a dwarf planet, and two cocks. (laughs) Or something like that. One woman, two cocks, and a dwarf. (laughs) 
but the, it was about the dwarf planet Pluto, mm-hmm. um, and the two cocks were spelt with an X. Yes, and it was Brian Cox and the apple because I talked about Isaac Newton. But I was really into science, and I still am. But I, I've never sort of studied it or anything. I just love facts, mm-hmm. and I find hence our animal sex chat at the beginning, which you might have wanted to edit out, but now you can't because I've referenced it. There again. I am. I'm stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, lo- I love like finding out new things and like facts. So science. Like I loved science at school and it really interested me and the universe has always interested me and actually my first children's book is about a little girl with a hearing aid because I have a hearing aid and hearing loss a little girl with a hearing aid and her hearing aid translates alien languages and her and her grand protect the earth from aliens Brilliant. Um, so you know she gets to live out my dream of like going to space and meeting aliens mm. so the first show was was about science and planets and my love for Brian Cox <laughs> and I've worked so hard on it because it had so many facts in it that I had to learn as well as jokes so I really kind of wanted to I don't know prove myself in some way and then I got my slot at the Pleasance Courtyard which is what I'd always wanted mm-hmm. and somehow uh, I don't know how, and and I honestly don't know how. Like that isn't me being like, oh, I don't know how, but actually, I'm, I know I'm amazing. <laughs> I don't know how. We sold out the entire run Brilliant. for the month, so including previews, and I think I did an extra show, and so I had this pleasant pass, and every day, you know, my name and my show was on the sold out board, and I'd take a photo next to it like every day, and I was just amazed every day that it had sold out again. Well, you're I not was, really a comedian. Well, that's why I was amazed. I was like, oh no, it's in the comedy program. People think I'm a comedian, and they think they're coming to see comedy, and I. I just remember being amazed for mm. a month and being like, what's happening? And also during that time, I still didn't feel like a proper comedian, uh, you know, among all the comedians. I still didn't feel like my experience of Edinburgh was like the best experience. I thought everyone else was doing way better than me. But personally, I was amazed mm. that people were buying tickets to see me and they weren't falling. Some people did fall asleep because that's just the nature of Edinburgh. It's a yes. hot room. And, um, and there's a lot of drink. <laughs> and and normally they'd wake up at some point. They wouldn't sleep for the full hour. But most of the audience members wouldn't sleep mm-hmm. and I could hold their attention for the full hour. So, yeah, it just reminds me of that. How brilliant. It is amazing, that courtyard, isn't it, when you walk into it. I love the process in that situation of being in that very privileged position of walking into that courtyard full of all those people who are going to go and see shows and you just walk in and walk into a dressing room, the back of a venue, your own little private space. It's amazing that you have that privileged position. And also just the history of all the incredible people who'd performed there before and even that year and you're just walking around you're like, oh my God, look, it's that person and they're also performing here with little old me. Um, and I'm so, I'm, I did it two years, I think, in a row. And I'm so glad I kind of got to do it, even though I'm not a proper comedian. Um, <laughs> I'm still minorly amazed that that happened. Um, it's when those photos come up from ages ago that you haven't seen and you get reminded of all these things that you've done and that you forget about and you're just like oh my god I once I was hired see not a real comedian over here was hired (laughs) to do stand-up comedy on a yacht in the south of France for a Malaysian government official oh my god and it was the most awkward thing of all time but also amazing because I was on a yacht yeah but 
he hated my comedy. Um, he didn't laugh. He didn't even smile. He was getting a foot massage at the time oh on the yacht God. at sea. And then he was like, stand up and do some comedy. I didn't have a microphone. There was no audience. It was just to stand up comedy to one person getting a foot massage. And then after about 20 minutes, he was like, sit down. Great. And I just sat down and then I had to hang out with him for like a weekend. But I was also on a yacht. So it's kind of amazing. But all these weird things that you do in life that you forget about. Yes. But I'm not going to forget about the Pleasants because I've got my Pleasants pass. Lovely. That's brilliant. We should put that into the time capsule as your fourth item. So what's the final thing you want to put in and get rid of? Okay, so this was the easiest decision I've ever made for this final thing. This is the thing that I hate Mm -hmm. and that people think I'm mad, but I just hate it with such a passion that I want it to go away and not exist in my life. And that is sparkling water. (laughs) I went on a date recently Mm -hmm. um, and I had to tell the person about how much I hate sparkling water before we ordered. (laughs) I don't mind. Someone else can drink it, but like I just see it and the anger comes out and then I make a face. And if you don't know why that is, it might be misconstrued. Yes. So I had to say, <laughs> by the way, I really hate so and there's no real reason. Like I haven't had a traumatic sparkling water experience. I just think it tastes like fart water. <laughs> Even saying that like as a joke, like I actually think that's what it tastes like. Like why why would you take water, lovely natural water all over the world? We can survive off it. Why would you take that and put gas in it with nothing else? Like there's just no but I think it's the strangest thing ever invented isn't there some naturally carbonated water though surely no isn't there a well that gives out naturally carbonated water that people can drink though because I feel like when you go to those pools in in different like there's volcanic pools aren't they there's normally loads of extra minerals in there as well and you wouldn't be able to drink that because it tastes weird Mm. you know like iron or blood or you know all sorts of weird stuff it does so i understand soft drinks (laughs) i like soft drinks they have sugar in them flavoring (laughs) the different colors they're fizzy that's a different drink water with bubbles is just ruining water (laughs) it's just farting in water yeah yeah you've ruined it (laughs) i feel like if you i don't know if anyone believes in god uh you know or a god-like substance or person or i feel like god is frowning down Mm. on sparkling water is like look at that beautiful stream coming out of a rock in the wilderness that i gave you and you farted in it (laughs) and now you're putting it in your mouth I thought Sodom and Gomorrah was bad. (laughs) Look at you lot, you animals. I'm sorry to get angry right at the end of the podcast, but it has to be said. And thank you for giving me this outlet to say it. It's fine. No, I (laughs) feel like I've really got something off my chest. Well, I can completely understand it. There's a lot of water that tastes pretty horrible, isn't there? Natural, clear water, lovely, yes. But I live in Tunbridge Wells and we have... The wells, obviously, you go to them. In fact, my daughter for a while was what they call a dipper. When she was at school, she used to stand at the wells dressed in restoration costume and she used to hand out the water. And the water is disgusting. It's it's full of iron. So it's really disgusting. So it tastes like blood. Yeah. 
So I agree with you. There are a lot of carbonated waters that I know people go, oh, I can't drink that. It's just salty. If it's natural, I think it's okay. If we've made it, why? Yeah. Once I bought a bottle of water from Pret. Nothing against Pret. I don't think any shop should sell sparkling water, but it's fine. <laughs> I hate them all equally for doing so. Um, <laughs> and I bought a bottle of water and then I took the lid off and put it in my mouth and it was sparkling water accidentally and I spat it in Pret <laughs> because I was so like, get it out of my mouth. I spat it on the floor and then I had to be like, I'm so sorry, but I really hate sparkling water. <laughs> and the only thing that they have on those bottles that differentiates it is I think one of them has a little bit of green and one has a little bit of blue. Yes, so confusing. I mean, you could have been traumatised by that. I think you should sue. I am traumatised. Can't you hear? I am (laughs) traumatised by all of sparkling water. I'd like it to go in the capsule, but I'd also like to erase its existence from my life with it going. So no mentions. No. I don't want to see it. I don't want it to be available anywhere I go. Okay. Now it's in the capsule. Okay, I'll be in touch with all major supermarkets <laughs> and all petrol stations. And uh, restaurants. Restaurants. The man will yeah. come up and say, would you like water with your meal, madam? You say, yes. They say, tap water? That's the only thing we have, I'm afraid. Yes. So don't be afraid, young man. And by the way, can you please cover your bottom up? Thank you. <laughs> my auntie got very excited by the bare-bottomed man at my hendo. <laughs> we had to be like, calm down. Oh, <laughs> He's dear. working. He's only a student. Bless him. Oh, Sam, I shall banish sparkling water from the world for you. Thank you, and I really mean that. Thank you. (laughs) It's been really lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this. No worries. I've enjoyed myself thoroughly. Thanks. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Samantha Baines. Sam. Thanks very much for listening. You can hear more of Sam if you listen to her podcast, The Divorce Social, available wherever you get your podcasts, as, of course, are the other 200-plus episodes of My Time Capsule. And if you subscribe, we'll send you every new episode as it's released. And you can also keep track of what's coming up and ask us any questions on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, to be precise. You can follow me and My Time Capsule on each or all of them. The theme tune by Past the Peas Music is available on Spotify. This was a cast-off production for Acast, and it was produced by John Fenton Stevens. There we are. That didn't take long, did it? No, we're near as long as usual. That's because I'm a bit pushed for time, actually. It's stupid, really, but I was well on top of my chores, so I celebrated by buying myself a new boomerang. I spent the last four days trying to throw the old one away. Yes, all right, they can't all be brilliant jokes. Good Lord, over 200 I've had to do. Cut me some slack, will you? And I've got a toothache. I'm having it treated later today, but I'm not having any injections or anything. None of that. No, no. I like to transcend dental medication. Oh, come on. That one was good. Bye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.